0: Brett. How's it going this week?
1: Good, Ange. How are you?
0: Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And, Brett, have you been studying up?
1: I never know what to study. You change the topics every week.
0: Well, you went to college, right?
1: I I think so.
0: Well, then that's a good one because this week we're going to be talking about colleges.
1: All right. Uh, There's a lot to talk about in that area.
0: For your trivia question, how much was the average in-state tuition in 2018 for a full year.
1: $100,000. One, oh, one year? Yeah. Just one year. Just okay. one year.
0: In-state tuition. In-state.
1: $20,000.
0: Uh, no, I, you'd be pleasantly surprised. It was $9,970.
1: There must be a lot more uh, community colleges than I think there are.
0: No, that's like if you go to un- in-state university.
1: Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot of people graduating with a lot more debt than that.
0: Well, because you have room and board and a lot of people go out of state or they go to private colleges.
1: Or they take out probably more money than they need to for tuition, right?
0: Well, that's true too. But out of state tuition, for example, is $26,000. So you go up by two and a half times just to go out of state. And private tuition is $35,000 a year. Wow. Okay. So... That that gets really expensive, and all of that is before you factor in room and board. Mm-hmm. So, as you can see, college is super-duper expensive. Um, but this week, we want to talk about, you know, if you want to send your kids to school, of course, as parents, you have no obligation to help your kids with college. Um, we don't want to set that precedent as something that we think our listeners have to do or should be doing. But we have been getting a couple questions in from parents who want to save for their kids' education. So we want to do an episode where we kind of talk about the cost of college and how you could save up for that to help your kid with school.
1: And right, uh, college is getting more and more expensive every year, right? That's as far as I've been around, that's been the case.
0: Yeah. So we're seeing about a 4% increase per year in the cost of college education. And what's tricky about that is that is far above the inflation rate we've been seeing each year, which means college is getting actually more expensive, not just, you know, like the cost of living gets a little bit more expensive every year, but even beyond that college has been getting more expensive.
1: Right. So if you're currently planning for somebody that's either in elementary school or even just starting high school, the price of what college is right now is not what you need to plan for. You need to plan for college in the future.
0: Right. Yeah. So to pivot off of that, Um, just kind of just set the basis for what we are assuming when we're calculating this. So I assumed that, you know, as a parent, maybe... You're going to pay for in-state tuition and maybe try to help out with room and boards. So I came up with the assumption that you're hoping to give your kid $20,000 towards their college expense. And I think as a parent, this is actually a really good way to plan for college savings because otherwise there's so many variables, right? Of like, do I plan for private school or public school, in-state or out-of-state room and board or no room and board, which room and board can vary based off which city your kid goes to college in.
1: Right, and what their regulations are on campus. Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. so this was actually the strategy that my dad took with me and all my sisters. He said, I will pay four years of school up to X amount of dollars per year and anything beyond that, you're going to have to take out student loans for or get scholarships, which when I was making my college decision, that definitely factored in for me of you know, making sure with the scholarships I got, I did go out of state, but with the scholarships I got, I kind of stayed under this dollar amount that my dad had set aside for me. So you can definitely set a dollar amount like this and still have your kids get a really good education, but they might not be able to go to, you know, a private school across the country <laughs> or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, so I set this amount to be $20,000 per year. Um, And this, you know, like I said, right now, that would kind of cover in-state tuition. Um, And and I also factored in that this would increase by 4% per year. So since the first year would be $20,000, it means the last year would be $22,500 in my projections. So I totaled up those four years and I got a value of needing $85,000, which that's a ton of money. And I wanna also kind of preface this conversation saying, these are the numbers I'm using for this, but feel free to adjust based to your personal goals. Maybe you want to get to $10,000 a year for your kid for college and anything you do is really good to help. And so I don't wanna like scare people away because $85,000 is a ton of money you know i understand if you if you can't hit that target but i just wanted to try to do a realistic if you want to pay for you know about 4 years of college that that's a good number to shoot for
1: right and so maybe we should back up a little bit about right there's a lot of people of of the mindset of i'm not going to pay for any of my kids college right they need to work their way through college right and right that's the mentality that they're pushing on them because it's Know, it teaches them a little bit more from a skill set. It teaches them a little bit more about managing their money, right? Those are good things as well. But there are a bunch of like savings vehicles, right? That we we're going to talk about for what you can do for your kids to save up for a longer period of time, but they don't have the option of doing now, right? So it's totally worth looking at some of those things.
0: Yeah. So, you know, even if you don't personally want to contribute, it's a good idea. If your kids are getting birthday money or that sort of thing at a young age, where like you know, if you have relatives that give your kids a check for fifty dollars for their birthday when they're like one years old, right? They they don't they don't know what to do with that as a one year old. Um, so putting that in a five twenty nine plan is a really good idea. Um, now I will say every state has their own five twenty nine plan, so I. Unfortunately, we'll not be able to give, you know, a very elaborate explanation, but I really encourage you to look into your own states. And I did want to bring up the key point that you don't have to contribute to your state's 529 plan. The benefit of doing that is you get the tax benefit um, on a state level. But California, for example, I believe, is a state that doesn't have any type of state benefit for contributing to a 529 plan. So you could pick any other states and you'll still get like the federal ones. Um, So obviously you have to do a lot of your own research there. This is not Um, I'm not going to go in depth on 529 plan, maybe that will be an animal for another day. But there's just so much there that I just kind of want to throw that out there that you should look into your own state's 529 plan. If you're looking at it, and you're like, this isn't really doing anything for me, or I'm not getting any of these benefits, feel free to explore other states option and see if there's, you know, a plan that fits your needs better.
1: But the the general principle is it's a tax sheltered kind of account that you can put money into that has some rules around where it can be spent, right? It has to be. Correct. kind of like further education to some degree. So the more common example is that it's going to be used for institutional education at a college degree level. Could be used for master's, could be used for trade schools or anything like that, right? Uh,
0: depending on your state's policy. Okay, so policy. That's, where it, that's where it gets weird. Uh, so much. yeah, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I mean, most of them can pretty much always be used for a uh, type of university learning, higher education, but in terms of trade school, uh, there might be some regulations around which programs it does and does not apply to. Okay. So, um, you know, feel free to kind of do your own research there. But I do recommend utilizing the 529 um, for the for the tax advantage if you are planning on saving for your child's education. So. So, with that, let's just jump into some numbers and then maybe we can kind of circle back and talk about like the what if I saved all this money in the 529 and my kid told me they don't want to go to (laughs) college. Um, So, we'll circle back to that at the end. So, I wanted to kind of come up with a good rule of thumb here. And so, like I said, this is all based off of trying to hit that $85,000 target. And another thing that I wanted to mention really quick is with a 529, a lot of times you can save in mutual fund accounts, which can be a really good way to save money because these you know as I mentioned college is increasing at four percent a year so while we always kind of talk about compound interest being on your side when it comes to kind of fighting against the rise in cost of education it's the exact opposite so you have to kind of save more to play catch up so saving in an account that gives you a little bit better interest Um, And this doesn't even have to be an aggressive mutual fund, but you could, for example, save in a mutual fund that consists of bonds, which bonds are pretty safe investments, and you will get that higher interest rate than if you just invest it in like, or just try to save in a normal bank account, right? Mm -hmm. So um, kind of doing a quick rundown, I picked some key ages here to come up with how much you need to save per month, if you want to have, you know, a full ride for your kid. Um, So if your kid is zero, um, we actually have a friend who is having a baby next year or early um, this year, I guess. And they have already kind of talked about opening a 529, which is really great because the baby's not even here yet, right? So you get that extra year of saving. And so if you're kind of starting very young like that, you should kind of target about $400 a month, which is a lot of money still, right? Oh,
1: wow. Okay. So for... They're basically their entire life up to the point where they need to start paying for education. Again, in the United States, um, it's $400 a month to invest. That's way more than a car payment. That's way more than... It's
0: insane. Right?
1: It's a sizable chunk of some people's mortgages, right? Like, it's a lot of money.
0: And so that is assuming that you're kind of in this, you know, 4%... Uh, interest rate account, where if you happen to invest more aggressively, maybe you invest in stocks because you think, well, I have 18 years, um, then you could drop down to $300 a month if you can earn 7% interest on that money. Okay. So I just want to make that distinction. I won't continue making that distinction. I am going to talk about it more in terms of you're not really investing in those riskier stocks, but just... Um, to give you a basis. And I do think at age zero, you can probably afford to be a little bit riskier. Um, (laughs) So just to set that guideline. But yeah, so $400 a month at age zero. And let's say, you know, you you didn't really, I mean, a lot of people probably when they first have a child, you have diapers, you have formula, right? everything is really expensive. So maybe you don't, you can't save early on in your child's life. But maybe when they get to kindergarten, you're like, okay, now's when I really need to think about education and save for the future. And so if you wait until kindergarten, it bumps you up to $550 a month.
1: Wow. So it's a it's a big difference still.
0: Yeah. And that's a lot of money still. Mm-hmm.
1: So I mean, we're we're just trying to hit a really expensive target, right?
0: Yeah, it, you have a big goal and college is expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So um, now let's jump to age 10. So maybe, you know, they got through elementary school and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, my little tiny child now hit double digits and they're going to middle school and now things are getting really serious about this. If they're age 10, you should be striving to hit $885 a month. And these are when the numbers to me start getting, like, really large and really intimidating mm-hmm. but I, I and that's what i want to remind the listeners like if you have a 10 year old and let's say you're like yeah i am not going to be able to hit you know 900 a month but if you can even hit 400 a month you're still paying for like half of their college right and that's still a really awesome gift and keep in mind there's scholarships and all these other things that can help with the cost of college mm-hmm. so so i know these are big numbers and scary but just keep all that in mind that anything you can put away your kid will appreciate. So don't feel like you have to hit the $900. Um, so now we really delayed and we have a freshman in high school and we're like, now we really have to get serious <laughs> this about this. Is, this is
1: like the more common example, I think, for most people I know.
0: Yeah. And and this is like, do you even want to guess at what this number is per month? If you wait until a freshman in high school? I
1: don't know. It's so that's a uh, what? How old are you as a freshman in high school? Fourteen. Four, four, so, so I'm four saying four years later.
0: Four years later. I yeah. don't know.
1: I'd still think it's probably double what you were just saying, at least. So like fifteen hundred dollars a month, sixteen hundred dollars a month,
0: seventeen hundred and seventy dollars a month. So almost eighteen hundred dollars a month. Uh, because, I mean, think about it. If you want to save $85,000 in four years, mm-hmm. that's just a lot of money.
1: Yeah, you don't have any time for the, the compound interest to do you any favors. Yeah,
0: and keep in mind that this is without me talking about compound interest and just kind of trying to invest at that 4% just to keep up just with, to keep up with um, okay. the, the cost. And if you do invest at 7%, then this number only drops to 1700 So <laughs> it, because you just don't have that much time for it to compound and and work its magic. So. Um, you know i I definitely think a lot of people wait until this point, and obviously, I mean that's more than our rent payment that's more than our mortgage ever was. so that's a lot of money, and that's you know probably really hard to do. but again, keep in mind at that point that anything you can save up is going to help your kid and you know exploring options to reduce the cost of college or get scholarships is super important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also before I forget and we start talking about other things. Some people might say, okay, well, now I listen to this and my kid's seven years old and, you know, help because you didn't give me that number. <laughs> and so a quick kind of dirty math trick I came up with, which is not perfect, but like a rough smell test of like, am I saving enough, is take your kid's age, multiply it by 100, and try to save that much per month. Now, where this doesn't work is like early ages, like zero and one, right? Um, <laughs> Because we mentioned that you do need to save about $400 starting from age zero. So it doesn't work at those young ages, but once we get to age five, it actually starts to work pretty well. Um, and it's, again, it's not perfect, but that's like a quick, you know, how much should I save a hundred dollars each month for whatever age your kid is. Okay. So it gives you a rough guideline.
1: More and more over time.
0: Yeah, yeah. More <laughs> as you more as your kid gets older and that date gets closer, right?
1: But if, so, so sorry, if you're, what you're saying is I need to start saving at $700 a month because my kid is seven years old. Correct. Is that $700 a month forever? Or when they turn eight, do I, do I have to kick it up to $800 oh, a month? Oh, nope.
0: Sorry. So if you've already started saving, um, like let's say your kid's seven and you save $700 a month, even when they turn 14, you're still at $700 okay, a good. month. So right. as soon as you lock in that monthly rate, you get to stay there. As long
1: as you keep, keep it up.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that's I guess that's the saving grace, right? The, the younger you start, the lower that number can be. But obviously, this is a lot of money at any age because college is really expensive. And, um, again, I already said this, but, you know, I just want to reiterate, it's totally cool. Like, if, you know, maybe you look at the cost of in-state tuition and you say it's only $10,000 and um, I'm going to pay for four years, you know, of in-state tuition for my kid instead of room and board. And then you can cut these numbers in half, right? And, and maybe that becomes a lot more manageable because then at age zero, you have to come up with a couple hundred dollars a month, right? $200 a month, which for most people is a lot more feasible than coming up with $400 a month. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, those are all good things. And I think, you know, another strategy that I want to talk about that I think is becoming a lot more popular and was kind of frowned upon when I was a kid is taking a gap year between college or high school and college. Mm-hmm. And so obviously if you do that, you buy yourself an extra year, which is um, (laughs) really helpful, but also it gives your kid a chance to figure out what they want to do because I went to college with a lot of people who felt that pressure to go straight to college that had no idea what they wanted to major in. So they changed their major like 17 times freshman year. And I know the stat at my college was like, or most colleges was like you know, one in eight students will drop out their freshman year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what that updated statistic looks like, but that's a lot of people. I mean, imagine saving all this money and then your kid just like comes home and they're like, no, I dropped out of school, right? Right. Um, So giving them a little bit of time to figure out what they want to go to school for and make sure they're prepared to go. If that means that they need a gap year, the other benefit is they can work for that year and save up some extra money. Right.
1: They work, they get experience, which is the whole all that matters at the end of the day right I mean the degree is one thing but having a skill set is a is a better thing if they can get into an area that they enjoy whether that's you know an art related activity or or anything anything that gives them credentials in the field is is better for the long-term gain um or I mean there's a lot of other options though too right that isn't isn't just you know college right
0: yeah, well, so I want to stick with college for just a little bit okay. longer because um, one other thing I wanted to mention, if you hear this number, $85,000, and you're like, holy cow, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to retire if I give that much to my kids, right? Because mm-hmm. we also know that retirement is chronically underfunded in America, then, there, you know, there. what else can you do? Well. A, a huge strategy that a lot of my friends took as well was to do a 2 in 2 or a 3 in 1 program and what i mean by that is you go to a community college for 2 to 3 years and most community colleges partner up with a variety of universities so you do a couple of years at the community college which is far cheaper right i mean yep. you might get a year a, a tuition at a community college for 3 to 4000 instead of 10000 so you know, half the price or less, and then you do that last two, one to two years at the university, you graduate with a degree from that university. No employer knows the difference. Right. And you just got out of there for instead of, you know, $85,000, maybe you get out of there for, you know, $30,000. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I know several people that did that, uh, probably not as many as they should. I should have done that in hindsight, right? Like, what a smart move to make. Yeah. because I. It's not like those people missed out on anything that I got that they didn't, right? And then they graduate with the same degree that I have.
0: So I I will say I went into a very unique field where it would not – I could not have done that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're Um, special. I got a business degree and (laughs) and, and did a couple other things.
0: Well, no, I mentioned that because uh, one of the points that I wanted to bring up is I think it's really important to teach kids – to. to figure out what they want to do and then backtrack from there to figure out the proper path of education. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because for me, I knew I wanted to be an actuary and, which is a weird thing to know as a kid, I understand. Uh, But then when I backtracked, I was like, it's very important for me to go to a school that specializes in this field because it is, you know, very niche. Um, And And because of that, also, though, I was able to find a lot of interesting scholarships. And really, I went to an out-of-state school. But because I was in such a niche area, I paid less than staying in-state. And, um, you know, actually, my tuition at the end of the day was probably about what it was at a community college anyways. So um, there's, like I said, there's a lot of creative ways. But I think it's really important to have kids figure out what they want to do first. Um, Because also, you know, another kind of interesting thing in today's society is, potentially that's not even getting a college degree. So the trades are really suffering right now. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna be a journeyman or an electrician or a lineman or all these different things, there's different training programs out there. And I know some community colleges actually partner with like utility companies to, so you do get an education but it's not at like a four year university. It's maybe like a 18 month or 24 month program where a company has partnered with the community college and you actually get paid the whole time you go. So you make money, it doesn't cost you anything. And then you get a really good salary. So I actually saw um, recently an advertisement for a journeyman position where it was like three years of schooling, but the whole time you went, you got paid between like 30 and $50,000 a year. And then it was like auto job placement. And by year six, you were making like $100,000.
1: Right. So. so, all like basically guaranteed as long as you just continue on with the program the whole time. Right. right. Yeah.
0: Which is, and I'm sure you have to like make certain grades and all of that good stuff. But to graduate not only debt free, but making six figures is huge. Guaran- yeah, guaranteed. I mean, that's, yeah. that's insane. So, um, there's a lot of cool things like that. And, you know, being an electrician or a plumber, a lot of times you again, there's trade schools out there and there's apprenticeships and, you know, really interesting creative paths where it might be a lot cheaper to get some of these credentials. And if that's what you want to do, then, you know, you should go down that path. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I heard recently, like, there's not enough builders for the demand of like renovations or new homes right now. So builders basically get to write their own like ticket to life because they're in such high demand and there's not enough supply.
1: Mm -hmm. So. And right, I I know when we were looking at another investment property, like bringing on an electrician to do anything, right? If the hourly rate is just like astronomical. Whether you work for a firm or you just like become your own electrician, right? As long as you're a licensed and insured electrician, like you, you're you're making hundred plus dollars an hour or something like that easily, like just to show up at somebody's house, regardless of what the work is. Right. I mean, it's it's a pretty sweet deal to get into those fields at this point, because I think the the last time I saw, the average age is is in the fifties, approaching sixty years old right. for like for like that trade. Um, so, I mean, they they're just like starving for young people. Even like uh, we had somebody who replaced some of the driveway too, and they said they used to have people. Um, you know, summer interns, you know, come work with them or just kids from high school come work with them to just even like move barrels around and they can't even get that anymore, right? Like they cannot get like any young kids to like move into any of these fields to like do summer jobs anymore. And so, right. I mean, there's people, there's a bunch of demand out there. So if your kid's just sitting around in the summer, like they could easily go find a job anywhere.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important as a parent to have these conversations with your kids because, you know... I think that's something that I really kind of valued in my youth was being exposed to having a better understanding of not just go to college, but think beyond that, think what you want to do after college. And I think if we can talk to kids and shape the argument of not, you have to go to college and major in something, anything, but to form the argument of like, you need to figure out what makes you happy or what you would enjoy doing in the workforce, and then backtrack from there and figure out the right path to schooling, I think that's how we're really going to end up combating some of these like high schooling costs because, you know, right now, if you spend $85,000 and your kid just gets a generic business degree, there is not, you know, there's a lot you can do with a business degree, but it can also be a little bit confusing to figure out what you should do with that degree.
1: It it opens some doors, right? It's not opening a whole lot of doors. I mean, just because you're going to be like, okay, it doesn't really matter what your grades were. You have very low from a skill set perspective compared to, like, anybody that's specialized in anything, right? And so they're going to be like, okay, we'll bring you on. We understand you have a degree. That means you're capable of learning, and then we're just going to plug you into some position somewhere um, and just, like, see if this fits or see, like, how good you are or how capable you are at picking things up. Because, I mean, at that point, I mean, graduating with a business degree, most people didn't didn't specialize in like being a project manager or like nobody graduates college really with their like PMP certification or anything like that or agile certification or what I mean maybe some schools do none that I've ever heard of but um, that's what companies want now is they want you to be able to like specialize in a particular area inside of a business businesses do all kinds of stuff right? right so you need to be the right cog in that wheel to fit into that position and when you just generalize in a business degree like they're just Gonna plug you into the like the hole that's leaking the most. I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah. So I think taking it, you know, even a step backwards. I'm not sitting here advocating that nobody goes to college. I think um, what I'm really advocating for is that people get some type of specialized skill set. Because I hear a lot like, oh, I got this degree and it qualifies me to like work in a call center somewhere for like twenty thousand dollars a year, right? And yeah, if you get a generic degree and you don't have a skill set, you're you're not adding any value to, and I I don't mean that you're not adding any value, I think you're a very valuable person, but I just mean you're not generating enough value of why they should pay you any more than they need to. Where if you take the approach when you graduate high school to say what skills am I going to add to my toolbox, then even if you don't get that college degree but you have like a you know plumbing certification, whatever that looks like, I'm I can say that I'm ignorant <laughs> to what that really is, but if you have that certification, then all of a sudden that opens doors for you because people value that skill set and credential. Mm-hmm. So anytime you can shape it that way, instead of just getting a general business degree or a general English degree, anytime you can take that a step further and really specialize and hone in on what sets you apart and really get specific to fill some type of niche, whether that's project management, as Brett mentioned, or a trade, or, you know, an actuary, I'll throw one in for um, myself as well. You, you kind of narrow the scope and get that niche so that people are willing to pay you for your particular skill set.
1: Right. Cause once you, I mean, once you graduate and get your first job, right? College hire in every business is like its own category. Right, they're treated separately from how any experienced hire is treated. Right, it's two totally different categories. Once you are, once you get pat through that college hire doorway, and you now have any skill set whatsoever, any any uh, experience whatsoever, now you're graded on a totally different scale. Now nobody gives a, you know cares at all where you got your diploma or what it was or what your grades were. All of that is like no longer relevant. You've already like passed that barrier. Now everybody looks at your skill set. What did you learn? What are you capable of doing? How well did you do with those things, right? How are you performing at that level? Um, You know, how have you been growing? Like what, you know, what are all those things to prove yourself as a better employee versus somebody else?
0: Well, and I will say even getting a specific skill set, having the soft skills of being good at communication or good at organizing things or, you know, even good at interviewing, those that matter a lot. So to working on your soft skills and working on your communication skills is super important to actually landing a job because you could be the most highly qualified person. And as an actuary, we have this reputation for being very socially awkward. And I hear from young grads sometimes about how hard it is for them to find jobs. And when you talk to them, they can't explain what they learned or how well they know Excel because they don't have those soft skill communication skills to take these technical concepts that they work on and explain it in a way that the average person can understand understand. Businesses don't want those people anymore because there's enough people that can do both the technical side and the soft skill side, where if you're really good at doing this technical stuff, but nobody can understand you, then like businesses can't use you. So become a well-rounded person, no matter what you do, having people skills and having organizational skills and having some type of business sense will get you very far in life in yeah, general.
1: That's true. In the so I, I've done a lot of you know, college hire interviews for in the technology field as well. And whether it's a, I mean, a business person going into a technology field, they don't need to know the technology or anything, but just gonna work in that space to be able to translate, you know, technical requirements or you know, features or something like that into, you know, business language for people that don't understand the technology. And what does this mean? And what is my return on investment gonna look like? And what are, what are all these other business terms, right? Um, getting through that interview stage is so critical because you can know your stuff like so well, but I have like 30 minutes to talk to you on the phone during that interview. Maybe there's like three stages of that interview. Maybe one of them's more technical or whatever, but I'm evaluating the person on like, how well can they communicate to me during that conversation? Mm-hmm. I care far less about what they, like what they're actually telling me as to like how they're articulating those examples to me. And whether that's like, if you come off really strong in that area, you're gonna be a good employee no matter what you do, right? right? Uh, we can teach you the stuff as long as you are, like, effective at, like, like I really like talking to you or, like, I'm, I am get on your side or, like, anybody that can get on, like, a client's side in, in like, the consulting field and, like, become, like, an, an advocate or, like, a friend to them or in any way, like, a trusted advisor, like, that is super valuable to the company, right? Because then you are locked in there. They love you as an employee. Like, no matter what you do, like, it, it's gold standard. Um, you can't replace that with just somebody that's just, like, a great, you know, Button pusher. Well,
0: and I think, you know, the hard thing about technical skills is every company I've been at might have their own kind of black boxy software or own way of doing things. So they want to be able to teach you. They don't want like a know it all, you know, C programmer who only does that because they want you to be flexible and. um, Right.
1: And I mean, especially in the technology field, obviously, the. The stuff changes every two years, right? right? Like exactly. You know, I've been working for nine years, and I don't work on the stuff that I that came out that was brand new three years ago. Right, it's already been replaced by new stuff.
0: Right. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, I think we can wrap up this episode. Brett, do you have any last thoughts on any of this?
1: Um, I'd say, uh, right, it's 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 still a good thing, I think, in my personal opinion, to have students. Pay for some of their schooling. I think that adds a lot of value, but I do think, right? It's, it's kind of like a team effort from that family, mm-hmm. right? I think it's, I think it's, especially with the prices today, and this is a whole different like can of worms, right? Of like how expensive schools are. Um, I think it's super unrealistic for one individual to pay for like a whole, especially out of state, four year degree by themselves without getting themselves into a whole bunch of debt. It's like, it's, it's very difficult. Um, to work up until that point to make enough money yourself, even when you start when you're 16, even if you work all the way through college and working at the same time, and then you have to work several years after that to continue paying off all the things that you couldn't pay for in the first place. It's just a losing proposition if you're like all by yourself in that area, the scholarships help a ton. You really need to be able to go after those and go get those things and look and find creative scholarships and things that aren't even attached to the school. Um, those are ways that can help as well. But I do think for parents as well that this is a good idea to definitely look at, um, even if you're not paying for all of it. But for some of it, it it's, uh, I think, it, it wouldn't go unnoticed.
0: Yeah. So, um, and just really quickly on the scholarship front, you know, I got a scholarship um, based on my grades, I guess, from the university I went to. I got a scholarship for majoring in math, um, as a female majoring in math. I also got a scholarship because I was a female over the height of five seven. So, like, there's Sweet. some there's some weird <laughs> stuff out there. I literally, my, like, junior – well, sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, I would, like, sit on these, like, college websites that had scholarships, and I would just, like, refresh and post and apply to anything that I got – potential for, and I was like, wait, I'm over, you know, five, seven or whatever. I'm going to apply for this. And it was like, you know, a thousand dollar scholarship for my freshman year. And that helps, right? Like Mm -hmm. every thousand dollars is super significant. So like when I'm talking about scholarships, I'm not saying you only should go after like these full ride scholarships. Like literally I applied for a whole bunch and I got some weird ones every dollar helped and and made a difference. So um, that's something that your kids can do kind of on their own as well is apply for some of these things. I wrote a lot of essays those three years um, and it paid off. So
1: but help helping your kids understand what those what the monetary value of those scholarships are at an earlier stage before they get to like signing up for applications for college. Right. That's important because like they're not going to be as motivated to like look for that money and like they need to be the ones like going out there and finding those scholarships, unless they know like how much money that's bringing to the table. Or like how many hours is that going to replace them having to work to like pay that off right. instead, right?
0: Absolutely. But that's a whole nother discussion of teaching your kid the value of a dollar. <laughs> so um, maybe look for that in the future. Maybe we'll do an episode on teaching your kid the value of a dollar. And um, because I know we're probably going to get a ton of questions, so I'll just address this now, we will do an episode on 529 more in depth in the future and kind of go into what those are. Um, And that way that prohibits people from just sending me a slew of questions (laughs) about them right now. So we will talk about that on a future episode. Um, Thanks for tuning in this week. We really appreciate it. Hopefully this kind of gives you a good guideline for how much you should be saving for your kids for school. I'll also put this grid of kind of, you know, how much you should be saving per month for each age group on our website. So you have a paper copy for reference if you want to look that up. And outside of that, feel free to email me if you have any questions. As always, I love to um, correspond with you guys and help you with you know in any way that I can on your financial journey. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.